check, check. There we go. Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. It is our privilege this evening to have our Dean of Online Education, Dr. Alan Like. Would you please welcome him, Dr. Like? He's going to be helping us hear from the Lord this evening. Let's all stand as we worship. You may be seated. Power, love, and sound mind. Come join us for a discipleship group on Thursday evenings, 6 o'clock in the Fireside Williamson building. We join us as we worship, as we pray together, and as we just encourage one another in a time of just discipleship, okay? Thanks. Dr. Light, come minister to us. Good evening. My name's Alan Light. Some of, some of you I've met, some of you this is the first time you've seen me. Thanks for letting me show up. We're going to take a look at the, uh, the text that's the passage, um, the theme for the, for the term, Second, P, uh, Second Timothy 1. So if you'll grab a Bible. Over the last uh, week and a half or so, my wife Marilyn and I have been mourning the loss of our friend's father. His name was Dr. Rodney Oliphant. He was 73 years young, and the Lord took him home. He was a native Kansan, and for those of you from Missouri, um, you'll just have to forgive that. Native Kansan, a large animal veterinarian, he was a staunch K-State supporter, and he was a devout Christian. So Marilyn and I had the privilege of being in the hospice room that last day when the family decided to remove him from the oxygen tube. It was keeping his body going, but his mind was already gone. And we were there as we watched his breathing become more and more shallow and and has his body moved in toward a fetal position as he prepared to, to pass on. Finally, the, uh, the nurse said that really only the family member should stay so that Rodney would relax enough to go home. And so he did, about 1 o'clock that morning. So the next evening, we, um, we were sitting around the family uh, kitchen table talking about all that had happened over the last 24 hours. And Marilyn has worked with Deborah, uh, Rodney's daughter, for about nine years, and so we've known each other, but I didn't know all of the story, and so it was great to be able to hear about his life. Eventually, we got around to talking about how it was that we were going to remember him at the funeral service. And the longer they talked, and the more I listened, the more I heard a theme a theme that came out of the conversation and the theme was this, that Rodney's life of faith in Christ left a legacy of wholeness and healing in every life he touched. So, this past Sunday, two days ago, Marilyn and I had the privilege of hearing in the funeral service, hearing how Rodney's Christianity was more than just a label how his professionalism as a large animal vet was burnished and polished 
by his integrity and his honesty. How a cowboy from Kansas became a follower of Christ because Rodney took the time to talk to him about a better way to live. How Rodney's nephews loved, no nieces, but how his nephews loved to go to the farm and hunt and fish and hunt some more and fish and hunt some more. How his children and his grandchildren loved their father and grandfather. And how and how ranchers and farmers from western Kansas and eastern Colorado and southwestern Nebraska were all influenced by Rodney's love for Jesus. He was unmistakable. I also learned during the funeral that it wasn't unusual for Rodney to write a note to his friends and, and family every once in a while. Sometimes the notes were encouraging. Uh, sometimes they were correcting. My understanding is, is that while... Uh, Rodney always spoke in Christian ways. You never had to guess what he meant by what he said. Sometimes the notes were notes of appreciation. Uh, but the one common thing that was true about these notes is that they were always welcome because of the life and the legacy of Rodney Oliphant. So this letter from Paul to Timothy is kind of like those notes from Rodney. Uh, you already know, and, I, and my hunch is, is that some of the preachers before me have told you all about the background, and so we're just going to kind of hit it as we go by. Uh, Paul was nearing the end of his days. He was spending his last years in prison, courtesy of the Romans and also courtesy of the gospel. So Paul, in Rome, writes this short letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. He wrote the note to encourage him. He wrote the note to correct him. He also wrote the note to tell him how much he appreciated him. And, and finally, Paul being the practical person, he also wrote him because he wanted Timothy to grab his coat, some scrolls, and some parchment and make sure that he got there before winter. But I want us to listen to the first part of the letter. So 1 Timothy, 3, or 1 Timothy 1, beginning with verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but, of, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him 
for that day. That's the word of the Lord. Now, over the last few years of Paul's ministries, things had taken a turn for the worst. For the worse. Or so it seemed from Timothy's perspective. The heady days of one successful missionary crusade after the other had morphed into Paul's imprisonment and their separation from each other. Paul had spent enough time with Timothy, though, to know that he needed to be encouraged to stay strong. So, in short order, Paul reminds Timothy of the extent of God's power and its impact on the lives and the lives of other believers. So, beginning in verse 8, Paul wrote that God has saved us, that God has called us, and he has called us for his purpose and, for, and by his grace and through his Son, and that Son has been revealed as our Savior, Christ Jesus. That Son has abolished death. That Son has brought life and immortality to light. What a list. What a God. What a list. What a God. We should do that just one more time. Saved us, called us, for his purpose, by his grace, through his Son, revealed as our Savior, abolished death, brought life and immortality to light. What a list. What a God. What a God. Now, it has to be said, though, that there were legitimate reasons that Paul was reminding Timothy of all that God had done. This list was more than just that kind of preacherly kind of thing that preachers say when they can't think of anything else to say. Timothy was struggling. He was having a hard time with all that had happened, all that was happening, and all that he foresaw happening. The last time Paul and Timothy said goodbye to each other, Timothy had had a hard time keeping it together. Since that time, other things had happened that had shaken Timothy's courage and determination. He had become afraid. See it in Paul's language? He had become ashamed. He was shrinking back from the suffering that comes with being a follower of Christ. Now, Timothy was still Paul's protege, but his discipleship to Christ was on shaky grounds. And so Paul said, remember. Remember, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Other translations, maybe you've heard. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love, and of self-discipline. I need you to notice that Paul does not minimize Timothy's concerns. He doesn't say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. You know, it, it'll, be, it'll be okay sooner or later. He didn't say, this too shall pass. Stiff upper lip, just hang on, we'll get through. Didn't say, when the going gets tough, the tough get... No, he says, he says to Timothy, God gave us a spirit of power, so don't be afraid. In another place in Scripture, Paul fills this sentence out a little more. Romans 8, 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and that's a rhetorical statement, because he is. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus 
from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Amen? Now, my take here is that this word spirit that Paul mentions in our theme verse is really more than just optimistic thinking. This is more than, than uh, joining in with the mighty Morphin Power Rangers when they shout, Go, go, Power Rangers! And it's more than developing a positive mental attitude a la Tony Robbins and all of the other power, positive thinkers. And it's more than just singing one more verse of, Don't worry, be happy. No, the spirit that God gives to every one of the followers of Christ is the spirit of God. And he's not timid, but he is loving. And he is wisdom personified. But if all that's true, is all that true? Okay. If all that's true, why was Timothy having such a hard time? It's because living in the power of the Spirit requires our reliance on the Spirit if we're going to realize all that he can do in our lives. There's a partnership there. There's a participation there. It's not just on him. It's on us too. So Paul reminds Timothy that he had choices to make when it came to living in the power of the Spirit. Paul's instructions to Timothy were straightforward. He didn't say wait. He said fan the flame, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Didn't say hang around until it feels right. He says don't be ashamed. He didn't say, well, it'll get better sooner or later. He says, join with me in suffering. And again, later, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern. And then toward the end of the chapter, guard the good deposit. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. See, Paul, know, Paul knew that the Spirit of God does not supersede our choices. He does not override our wills. Instead, the Spirit waits for us to put into action what we have already been given. Him. So instead of tears, we can have the joy of the Spirit. Instead of fear, we can know the peace of the Spirit. Instead of shame, we can trust the faithfulness of the Spirit. In the middle of suffering, we can rest in the self-control of the Spirit. The choice is ours. The opportunity is ours. The Spirit waits for us to let him do and be more than we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Amen? Now, this is not easy talk for Paul. This is just was not just something that he said. He knew exactly what he was asking Timothy to do because of all that he had been through. Remember Paul's description of what it takes to be a missionary of the gospel? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, 2 Corinthians 4. And essentially he goes on to say, and we get beat up every day for it, but we're glad to do so because Christ is at work in us. Paul knew exactly what he was asking Timothy to do because of all that he had been through. But at the end of this part of the note, after he has said to Timothy, you have the spirit of God and it's not the spirit of fear, stir it up. He said, I know. 
because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he will keep that which I have committed to him until that day. And he says it from a prison cell. And he says it to his protege who's not quite sure if he's going to make it. So, now what? What do we do with what we know? Is this still all true? All in favor say aye. Okay. So, first, we have to believe that what we've just heard and said is so. So, is the Holy Spirit's power at work in our lives? Is the Holy Spirit's power at work in our lives? Does he have the power to raise Christ from the dead? Can he give life to our mortal bodies? Have we been given the spirit of power? Okay. That's the start. Then. Second, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit's power is the answer to what troubles us. So is the Spirit's power the answer to the source of our tears? And is the Spirit's power the answer to the cause of our fears? And is the Spirit's power the answer to our sense of shame? And is the Spirit's power sufficient for our suffering? You see, we can either live under the power of the things that trouble and scare us, or we can live in the power of the Spirit who lives in us. And he waits for us to make the choice. One other thing about Rodney that I need to tell you. The service was an hour and a half. It was in Oferly, Kansas. Look it up on Google. There, there ain't a thing for miles around outside of Oferly. In a Methodist church that has been there since the turn of the century, it was Rodney's birthplace in Christ, and it was his going home place in Christ. So, three, uh, so an hour and a half later, at, after the friends had given their tributes, the family had said their thanks, and, and the preacher had concluded his homily, they had asked me to sing a song that summarized uh, Rodney's life. Now, if the, Paul, if the song had been around in Paul's day, he would have, he would have had it preached at his funeral, sung at his funeral. And he would have wanted it sung at the funeral of every other Christian he knows, he knew. But it's a song that if it's going to be sung at our funerals too, then we today need to live by the spirit of, the, of power who wants to be at work in our lives. And it says, how can I say thanks for all the things that you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me, the voices of a million angels, could not express my gratitude. Because all that I am, and all I ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. So to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, he has saved me. With his power, he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. So just let me live my life and let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. 
And if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary, because with your blood you have saved me. And with your power you have raised me, you are raising me, you will raise me. So to God be the glory for the things he will do, for the things he has done. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So let's live by the spirit. Amen? Amen. I think I want us to sing this first song that we sang. That's new to me, but I think it fits. So the, the song we sang first, if we can do that, stand and let's sing. the benediction praise and honor and glory be to the power and to, to the spirit of power who has a work in our lives we ask that you would help us to see you and trust you more and we pray it in the name of the one who set the example for us Jesus Christ we pray it in his name amen, amen. thanks